At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Good afternoon, Roxy Soxy. Good afternoon, Tam Tam. Are you enjoying all this heat outside in the summertime? Sweltering I hate Los it. Angeles. You know what? I've realized that I'm getting old because Why? older people can't stand temperature changes, and that has become me. Like, seriously, I'm now the person who's like, it's too cold. It's too hot. It's too cold. I just need temper. I need 72 degrees at all times with no humidity. Oh, so where do we find that? Where is that? Los this- Angeles, pretty much in the winter, right? Yeah, but then now it's all hot now. It's it's like deserty heat, like hot, dry, know. you know. And don't you feel like we can figure out a way to bitch about anything? <laughs> <laughs> totally. I'm like, ugh. And it's not even my period this week. I know. What week are you on, Roxy? Are you you're probably I just finished. Week- I just finished. Oh, so you're in the follicular phase, <gasps> which means you're interested in new things. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I should try skydiving, try like, you know, sushi making. Or just being nicer to David. <laughs> <laughs> you set up that joke and I knocked it down. <laughs> Where are you in your, your cycle right now? I'm in the perfect part of my cycle, which is the luteal phase, mm-hmm. which actually a lot of people don't love, but I do because my progesterone raises and my estrogen drops because I think I'm estrogen dominant. Mm-hmm. And so after my ovulation, which is when your progesterone and estrogen raises both, mm-hmm. I think your estrogen raises more than your progesterone. Um, mm-hmm. And then you, your testosterone also ranges, uh, raises afterwards. It kind of all drops, but your progesterone stays high. And that is when I'm like, I can focus. I'm calm. I'm not anxious. I'm nice. I'm, I can follow through all the good things. Like I, mm. I honestly feel like I should probably, I'm not into medication, but I'm, be on some kind of progesterone pill or something because mm. when I have high progesterone, I feel awesome. I feel we, great. Do they, do they do birth? Con- the, some of the birth control pills have high progesterone, right? I mean, I don't know. I knew that when I took birth control, I, um, I broke like my, I threw a shoe at someone. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm done. That is not good for my mental health. But yeah, I think progesterone is really everyone's friend in a way uh-huh. because like when you're pregnant, your progesterone is really high. And that's why a lot of people have like feel really good during pregnancy because you don't want to feel anxious, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good tip. Hmm. <laughs> He's like, how to raise my progesterone. How do I raise my progesterone? <laughs> when you ovulate, are you nice or are you kind of edgy? Uh, I think, you know, I start getting like a little crampy when I ovulate, mm-hmm. like a little bit. Like, so other than it's more like the physical for me than like the right. mental, emotional. I feel like I'm pretty okay when I ovulate. It's that following week, the weeks after when I start getting PMSA. 
Okay, so probably like a couple of days before, which is probably maybe you don't have as high estrogen as I do and your progesterone is pretty high. So when you lose a little bit of that, maybe that's why you're edgy. I know way too much about hormones to like that's good for me, but I'm like, I want (laughs) to fix my issues. And I'm just going to say it's hormone related. (laughs) But so much of it is right. Like so much of our hormones dictate like so much of what goes on with us, you know? Well, that's why I think we should talk to our next guest because they're here and they're here in our Zoom. So that's why we have to talk to them, but they work with empower your pelvis. So gosh, there's so many things I want to talk to them about. We haven't Mm -hmm. had anyone or any people on this show that are specialists in that area. And I know that like post baby and like when it comes to that area Mm -hmm. and how, you know, it doesn't, it's not really the same after you've had kids. And also when you get older, your pelvis is kind of changes a little, Mm -hmm. but we have Amanda Fisher and Morgan Clark here who are going to talk us through everything, all the things that happen in that area. Um, and maybe they can teach us some Kegels by the end. Yes! <laughs> we can all be doing Kegels um, on the on on the podcast. But welcome, guys. Thank you Yay! so much. Hey, thank you for having us. Empower your pelvis. Like, how do we even like start to approach this? <laughs> Massive. I, pelvic I am all topic. in. I'm all in. <laughs> it says it all. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I started the business four years ago, but I developed pelvic pain or pain with sex in my twenties while in school for pelvic floor or for physical therapy. Mm. And I just remember feeling very negative around having unwanted pain with sex. I thought, well, shit, this really sucks. And anybody who else who's experiencing any of the other issues that go on with pelvic floor dysfunction, like Mm. peeing your pants or prolapse, or even abdominal cramping and pain, low back pain. Um, it's all very negative. And with physical therapy, what we want to do is change that and give some people the hope and hopefully empowerment that they can change and have a completely different pelvic floor than what they're coming in with into the clinic. So giving them, you know, the awesome orgasmic sex again, where it's not dealing with pain or being able to let them have bladder control while they're jumping on the trampoline with their kids or out for a run um, and not dealing with pressure down there or any other issues. So sex, obviously, I had a C-section, so did Roxy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had so three. I'm, I'm very actually glad because I had two 10-pound babies, and I can't even imagine what that area would be because I'm a small person, 5'5". Five, five. I was 100 and I think 12 pounds when I got pregnant. Um, yes, I do know that smaller people can give birth to big babies, but a lot of the times it isn't always you know, the best for your body. So my sex life is fine. Um, it's great, actually. Thanks for asking. Um, it, <laughs> you know, because that area is quite, you know, tight down there because I had a C-section, right? But I hear a lot of my friends and there's other issues you have from C-section. So, you know, it's it's you give one issue to get another issue. But a lot of my friends who've had kids do not feel the same orgasm or the same pleasure mm. during sex post having a baby. Um Obviously, first question is, is that common? I'm sure Mm -hmm. it is. And is there a way to get that feeling back again? Or can you Mm -hmm. get closer to it, but it's never going to go back to what it was before? First, I love that you say common instead of normal, because that is something we're constantly Mm -hmm. changing in people's brains is like, okay, it is common, but it's not normal. It shouldn't be happening because these muscles, that's their job is to create arousal, create 
things to feel good down there with intercourse. And if we're having it go the opposite direction, then we need, there's something that we can do to, to change that. Um, absolutely. Which, so yes, common a hundred percent, then patients will come in or clients that we work with are asking the same questions because more of our generation talks about these things, but you may know, like maybe our mother's generations that we, they just didn't talk about this kind of stuff. And so even people who are not in groups that are okay with talking about, then they come in here and they're like, is this normal? Am I supposed to be doing this? Or am I supposed to be feeling these feelings? And that's our job to kind of guide them and start to really educate why it's happening. Cause a lot of people want to know the why, right? You not, you don't want to just the answer, you know, why did this happen? When was I having issues maybe before the baby and didn't realize it, which a lot of times is the case actually, um, and walking them through the steps to really rehab their pelvic floor, or is it being caused from scar tissue from maybe tearing vaginally or having an episiotomy that maybe that scar tissue is keeping that tissue from working how it's supposed to. So that's where we come in and maybe teaching them how to do a scar massage to release it and then regain strength and mobility of that tissue. And then hopefully returning them back to the, the bedroom with mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Bounce like a wow wow. Know it. <laughs> exercise. They got a lot exactly. of exercise. A lot of exercise. <laughs> um, so how like because even sometimes you know no matter how kind of the baby comes out, the pressure of having the baby on your bladder like during the nine ten months and like then you know of course delivery however which way you have it can cause like issues you know and mm-hmm. then like maybe your pelvic floor isn't as strong anymore what are some things that women can do to strengthen their pelvic floor, particularly after, you know, having a baby or carrying the baby even for like 10 months, you know? Absolutely. I, one of the first things that we usually tell patients about is what their muscle tone is really doing, because just like you asked, Mm -hmm what can I do to strengthen it? If I'm having leakage, let's say it's urinary leakage we're talking about. That's the first thing that everybody's brain goes to, right? If we're having leakage, that must mean these muscles are weak. They're not engaging to hold back that urine, Mm -hmm. but more than not, it's not actually that the muscles are really weak. They're actually not, they don't have that full range of motion. So they're really Mm -hmm. tense. Our pelvic floor muscles go tight more often than they go weak. So I would say, like, I think we had this conversation on Saturday, maybe four patients a year actually come in with like true weakness down here. We've got 28 different muscles in our pelvic floor. So there's lots of room for compensation and error. And more often than not, we tend to have muscles that are more tight and not relaxing afterwards. So they can either be tight and fatigue out. So they're not going to squeeze and clench off the sphincter Mm -hmm. or they're not working through their full range of motion to support the tissues down here. Mm -hmm. So we've got to teach a lot of our patients how to actually down train the muscles or learn how to let it go and then Mm -hmm. pick it back up. So learn how to move through coordination, mobility, and then build up that strength. So a lot of times we're not teaching Kegels because most of them come in really not knowing how to do them correctly, mm-hmm. but teaching them the reverse Kegel. Oh, so, what's that? How do you do that? She's like, can I do that right <laughs> now? Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, I'll walk you through that. I am doing my reverse Kegels right now. <laughs> so if you sit up on your sits bones. I knew like, we would be doing this all? today. I knew we would do this. I'm like, get ready for the demonstration. We have to. We have okay. to. Um, a lot of times how we cue our, our patients that come in, cause they typically don't use the muscles correctly. We like to say, think of your vagina, either picking up a blueberry 
or sucking a smoothie through a straw down there. So it gives us a nice like neural component with your brain. So mm-hmm. not like squishing the blueberry, you're not popping blueberries. You're just gently picking it up, mm-hmm. putting it back down. So like an <laughs> elevator coming <laughs> off. Right so my question <laughs> is like, this is probably the most ridiculous question that we'll have. Think, but like, yeah, like, what's your v- <laughs> Your vagina is tensing, right? Okay, okay. Just making sure. I would like hate to be like I'm the only one with my vagina tensing and everyone's doing something else. But that's yeah. what it feels like. You're like you're tensing yeah. your vagina area. Yes. And you're sucking it up almost. Like it feels like you're contracting your Because it just feels like too, I'm just right? like, like pulsing. You want it to kind of come up like an elevator. So like think of that whole smoothie. Like when you use a straw, like your lips come together and then you right you suck it up that's what you want your vagina to do like but not your tummy not necessarily your tummy so don't try to your your vaginal muscles should not engage just because your tummy is just the vagina so there's three layers of these muscles and they go by depth so that first layer is more towards the opening of the vagina and then it goes a little deeper and a little deeper extending all the way back to your tailbone and so i usually tell my patients i'm like kind of like an elevator or slurping up you want to think layer by layer you're contracting that and bringing it up towards like your belly button or diaphragm, but those muscles don't contract just by like sucking in your tummy. Cause that's usually what we see is just a lot of people like, Oh, suck it. Did I do it? Okay. No. <laughs> and I want everyone who's listening to the show, all of you to be doing this right <laughs> now. Us, okay. And <laughs> just key- like we meditate on this podcast, we can do our Kegels. Well, I'll reverse Kegels together too. Should you be putting objects into it? Like those balls? Cause I've heard that. I don't even know how that would I would lose it. I'd be like, oh God, I oh, lost a tampon eggs? once. You mean it happens sometimes. People lose things. Yeah, like you lose the egg. ball? People will lose things that they come in and we have to fish them out. Yeah. Oh, it no happens. Way. Yeah. What, is the, what is the craziest thing you've had to fish out? I'm like, you're like a one-stop <laughs> shop for <laughs> losing <laughs> in your vagina. Like what there if it was not anything to do with keys? Yeah. What if they just lost their keys up there and you're like, <laughs> sure, I'll help you. Like, what's the point where you're like, you know what? Let me unlock your car for you right there. Just squeeze, do your reverse Kegel, walk it. You would hope that it's like a ball or something that's used for Kegels, but you never yeah. know. What was <laughs> yeah, what's the weirdest thing you yeah. found in someone's vagina? Mine's in a tampon. Yeah, same. I wouldn't know. We haven't had, I've had other colleagues though that have had the weights or the yoni eggs stuck up there. They'll call in and be like, I've got to come in now. It's stuck and I can't get it up or out. And the problem is, is that's when, that's like your cue. If you hear that, your muscles are like so tight. And so people are like, well, I'm using this for strengthening. It's like, gal, you don't, you don't need, need to it. strengthen that. Uh-uh. Take that out. <laughs> I feel like that would happen to me. Cause for example, I find it hard to get a tampon up there. Yes. yes. Like it's a whole thing. Like I, it's like, I it's, it's hard. <laughs> so the reverse piece of like, after you pick up the blueberry and then you put it all the way back down, that would be beneficial to really work on. It's like that elevator coming back down. Oh. I don't want bigger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all compact in there. You um, use a mirror, literally. We and that's like probably one of the best ways to train because pe- people are like, I don't. Am I doing it? I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I can't see through your pelvis unless we, you know. And we do exams and everything. But if patients are asking, I'm like, get a mirror down there, open labia a little bit, and look at what your tissue is doing when you do that. When you squeeze it, is it actually kind of closing and going away from the mirror, or is it? puckering out and bulging when you let it go does it actually let go that visual piece is huge and it really can make you connect to that area a lot better because we can we can see when we like squeeze our arm we can see when we relax our arm we just can't see when we do that with the pelvic floor muscles it makes it a lot harder 
So the mirror is something that's really beneficial. Have you seen a mirror down there? Like, have you ever done that? You know, I have not done that, but I have had a friend that did it after she delivered her baby and her baby was only maybe like a week old. She was not, yeah, she, she said it was quite scary because it looked like almost like a murder scene. It was like, you know, everything was kind of like in a different uh, place and it was a little uh, red and full. I would not want yeah. That. So, but, but I think probably there is some value in taking a mirror and looking down there, you know, like, have absolutely. Have you done it? Um, I would say maybe because I watched Sex in the City and Charlotte did it. And I was yeah. like, well, I should do it because <laughs> Sex in the City is the best show. Um, I think maybe one time, but like, I guess the whole point is the why, right? And there's never been a why. Like, I've never needed to. I've never had issues in that department. Um, but I do hear that as you get older, which is my next question, I don't have problem. Like, I feel blessed that I don't really ever go to the bathroom. Like, I never pee a lot. Like, I, 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 if I drink a lot of water, an hour later, I'll go to the bathroom and that will be expelled, and then that will be it. Like, I'm not the kind of person who every like me. 10 minutes is going to pee. So my yep. question is, I don't know if I'm what's happening to me is right at all, but why are people needing to pee more at a certain time of their lives? Like, what's going on down there? So a lot of times what we're finding, like the bladder frequency or urgency that's happening, again, the pelvic floor muscles typically are more high tone, so when they're contracted up higher and the bladder needs to expand to fill with fluid, it can't stretch too much further. So then people get that signal of, I got to go, got to go. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you're having an issue of not urinating as often, we like to kind of clump that into like the teacher or the nurse where they're holding their urine longer, having further bladder retention we like to train them to get on a schedule of like every three to four hours because you really don't want it stretching too full. You want to be really be on a good consistent, what we would consider like the normal mm-hmm. bladder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Voiding schedule of being that three to four hour range. Cause you can stretch your bladder out. There is such a thing called a mega bladder and you can see this on like an ultrasound or anything like that. And so people are like, well, I can just, you know, hold it as long as I need to whatnot. And then I'll ask Yeah. So you can literally stretch that bladder tissue out. And then that's why you may not get those, what you would think are appropriate urges. Like, well, I don't I did pee. Yeah. So then that, cause you're that stretch reflex and that response that shoots a signal to your brain saying, Hey, I got to pee. Yours has just kind of been like deferred for so long, stretching the tissue potentially. I mean, I don't have an ultrasound machine on your bladder right now, but you kind of get the point. Mm-hmm. So like set an alarm on your phone to remind you to go every three to four hours. And then my husband always says, I don't drink enough water. Like he's literally like, you don't drink enough water. That's all he told So that can be it too. But I, but I, but I eat, I, I I have water in my, I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. So there's a lot of water in the foods that I'm having. Like I don't eat meat. Like I, you know, there's a lot of, I'm having a lot of fluid. I'm never thirsty. So I don't know. But then right before I need to pee and Roxy, you have to tell me if this happens to you right before I, I go to bed. I'll think I need to pee like seven times. Oh my God. Yes. And I'm like, I have to clear it out before. And I it's like, like, a, so like a drop comes out. <laughs> I'm like, but you I'm get busting. that same urge, right? You get that same urge, right? Just as had, had you had gone 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Right. So, and that's a, that maybe is a cue that you're not emptying all the way that first time. See, and you know what too? I try to empty out before I go to bed because I know I'll wake up in the middle of the night and have to pee at some Do point. You? Yes. And it just, after I had, 
uh, my child, like is when it really picked up and it was like, okay, now it's like, I usually like the last two nights I haven't woken up in the middle of the night, but the nights before that I did like woke up at least once to like go pee in the middle of the night. So like, what's that? Like, is that just like also like the muscles, like not doing- you pee a lot. And I honestly I feel like lot. it's because you're telling yourself. And again, I'm not a doctor. You're telling yourself <laughs> you have to pee. It's almost like you're telling yourself I need to be, I need to be, I need to pee. So now you need to pee. Yes. Remember when we would go in the studio and like, I'd be like, oh my every God, two wait, seconds, I'm going to leave this podcast. I got to pee. Whereas like in the middle of the night, I don't pee because I, I literally wake up with a full bladder. Do you wake up? Okay. So you wake up like having to pee in the morning. I don't really think about it. And then I'm like, oh, I should probably go pee. <laughs> Something's wrong. Wow, you guys are like opposite end of the spectrums when yes. it comes to that. Definitely. Yeah, I know. I feel like uh, my problem is too, I feel like I drink a lot of water, but I try to wait, you know, to go to the bathroom. But once I break the seal, that's it. Like once I go <laughs> that first time. Is that a thing? Yeah, is that a thing? Like break the seal, like not break the seal? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> they're like you guys are nuts yeah. no no this is these are questions we get all the time yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, no it's just fun to hear from you guys too and like that what people have these questions but one of the things like roxy are you if you if i said you need to use the restroom could you go to the bathroom right now um well not right now just because i just went right before the okay. recording but i'll need to go at the end of this recording Okay. Like ner- my nervous key. Yes. And so, yes, kind of, yeah. So you associate different environmental, like, you know, seated triggers. standing triggers. Like you'll hear people who like, every time my garage door goes up, it's like, oh my God, I got a key. Right. Or yes. you, you watch a movie. As soon as you stand up, you go from a seated to standing position. Boom. That bladder drops. It's like, Ooh, I got to go all of a sudden or it's getting up from a restaurant chair, all of that. So for you, you want to really think about deferring it. So if it's not been that few hour mark and you're like, okay, I shouldn't have to go right now, even though I just went 45 minutes ago or whatever it is, try doing a couple big breaths. And then a few of those Kegels, like pick up a blueberry, let it go back down and put it back down. So I usually say take three deep breaths. So let's say you stand up after this podcast and you're like doing the potty dance on the way to the bathroom, take three big belly breaths stop, take, do a Kegel, let it go three times and see if you can get that urge to go down enough to like calmly go to the restroom. And it seems silly, but that if your bladder and your pelvic floor, this is your bladder, this is your pelvic floor. If your pelvic floor is like doing this to the bladder, it's making it feel claustrophobic and you won't, you won't be able to hold it. So you want those muscles to actually kind of chill out and to relax. Yes. And so try that and get back to us. (laughs) Does that mean as you get older, you can reverse that need to go to the bathroom and wetting your, I think, I mean, I don't know, once you get to a certain point, do you have accidents when you get older or oh, does that sure. come with, does that come with age or is that just person by that's, person? I feel like that's a lifespan thing. Like I was peeing my pants at 22 when I was running too far and then reading like in runner's world, like you're not a true runner unless you're peeing your pants. You're like, okay, like, I guess that's it. Um, People will pee their pants at all different ages, but we tend to hear it a lot of the times after we have children, like, oh, it's normal because I've had kids. Right. And then it's like, we're getting closer to menopause. Like, oh, it's because like estrogen is dropped with menopause. That's why I'm leaking more. Um, but a lot of times, like we, we have people as young as, I mean, who, who are in high school, who are gymnasts or soccer players, um, or collegiate athletes who are leaking and peeing their pants and come in and we can teach their muscles how to 
work well again, especially with their activity, we very can keep their pants dry. And then we have our menopausal women. Gosh, no, tell um your patient was 101 and a half last oh, year. Yes. Two and a half. I, I and half. When you get to when you get to that age, you're like, I I deserve the half. <laughs> yes, she was. She was a hoot. And she she was like, I'm sick of peeing my pants. And I was like, God dang it, so am I. God, let's fix this. And she she came in during like the COVID. COVID. And it was COVID yes. season. And she and after four visits, she was good. It was amazing. Wow. She was like, by the time I turn 102, I want to be leaked. I want to be able to keep my pants dry. You're we like, okay. I, I was like, yeah. I honestly have been so naive because I didn't know people peed their pants. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Our young girls, it'll have, we call it giggle incontinence, especially if it's like happening when they're laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all, all ages. Yeah. Laughing, sneezing. What else? Like coughing, jumping, coughing, running. Yeah. Nothing, kicking a soccer ball, landing yeah. from their cheerleading positions yeah. or gymnastic positions. Urgency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is so interesting. Again, for me, I just want my pelvic floor stronger so I can have better. <laughs> I'm like, I just want better orgasms. That's it. Um, Self-love. We need it. Yeah. yeah. So you can really have a better sex life. Even if you have a good sex life, you can have an even better sex life if you strengthen your pelvic floor. I think so. We had a patient come in today. Um, I sent her home with exercises called, we titled it as self-love, but she was to have orgasms daily to retrain, to really get to know her body, like what she liked, how she, what like visualizations she would do, what positions so that she could connect better and tell her husband what she liked. And she came in today seeing she had the best orgasm she's had in five years that they felt stronger and their marriage together. And she was completely happy. And that was just her homework for the last two weeks. Cause I couldn't see her. What's um, our homework? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. yeah, give us homework <laughs> <laughs> with her and clitoral stimulation with a vibrator. It was good. That was part of her homework. See? Doctor says you got to do it. You know, you, mm-hmm. you got to do it, right? It's supposed to what anti aging? Yeah, it helps all these your de- yes, all these things. Anxiety, cancer, migraine. You got it. Mm-hmm. If you're, the- you know, yeah, if you need to sleep better, yeah. orgasm before you go to bed. So yes. if your mind's constantly going when you're yeah, trying, I used to, to do that. Yeah, not lately because I'm so tired. But I used to do that. I'd be like, oh, I can't sleep. Well, I guess I got to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few more minutes. Yeah. I did that. When my husband was gone and I woke up in the middle of the night and found that sucker still like buzzing in the bed. <laughs> like, oh my God. As long as your head. dog doesn't run away with it or something. Yeah, yeah. That's the worst. <laughs> oh, I did actually have someone we sent a, oh, a, yes. a, a vibrating our, our wands, which is a, a pelvic floor tool. And I sent it to her and she texted me a picture. She was like, the dog got to it before <laughs> I did. <laughs> Literally, like yeah. Amazon dropped it off and it shredded it in the town. Front. I was like, well, <laughs> crap, we'll have to mail you another. Yeah, our nanny once went through that draw and I was mortified. Oh like I God. thought that I really had it all <laughs> like locked away. <laughs> I was like, no, we're good. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, good. So what kind of vibrators do you think are the best ones? Like which ones are the best in- ones to use to really strengthen our pelvic floors? I think that's per patient. Like I have some patients that, you know, some that more prefer external stimulation, some with internal. So starting there and then really the size of the vaginal canal for those people too. So like, great answer. Yeah. Because not everybody's vagina, nobody I've of the thousands of pelvic exams that both of us have done. Nobody looks the same down there. And so to, you know, 
it's rarely, Hey, try this one. This is the one that's going to work for you. It's really, there's so many, I guess, other factors that go into it other than just the pleasure piece of it. And some people like different types of vibration too. So that plays a huge role into it for some people, different levels of vibration. Like one of my patients today, she couldn't get past one of the first two levels on the vibrating wand because it threw her into a pelvic spasm. Mm -hmm. So we're like backpedaling now, like, okay, now let's not do internal with it. Let's stick with the clitoral stimulation. Um, yeah, it really varies person to person or the sucking features. Those are great. That's my God. That is like, what's the hell is that? (laughs) (laughs) She suck her fish away from me. I <laughs> must trust you so much. I mean, we're talking like, you know, because Roxy and I are so open. We're super sex mm. positive on this podcast and in our lives, and my friends are too. Mm. So, but these conversations aren't always as easy for a lot of people. Like, there's a lot of mm. shame and there's a lot of guilt that comes around this sort of mm. topic and area. And, and I, I would just think that people, like, when they see you and they meet you, they must really it must be nerve wracking for them, you know? And I'm sure you've seen that in a lot of your patients. Like they must really trust not only what you do, but you as people. Yes. And I feel like there's, it used to take a lot longer to build that trust up, but now that we have social media and Mm -hmm. our welcome videos, we have welcome videos that we send out to a patient, our patients as well, um, on who we are, what we do, what we're going to be doing on our first visit. Mm-hmm. But then I'm going to say Instagram too, has been a huge, they come in like already feeling like they know us, right, that they're right. our best friend. They know my kids' names, which are kind of creepy sometimes, but like, they're like, oh, so you went to baseball last night. How was that? Did the kid I was like, how do you know what I was I doing? Know. Someone once came out, I was like, hi, Lennon. And I was like, oh my God, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> my how do you know my name? Name? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that has helped a ton because we do deal with so many private things or people come in telling us for the first time, such secretive information that with, I mean, with HIPAA, we don't disclose and we are very upfront with that. Um, but sometimes we're the first ones to even know about miscarriages or if they're pregnant, the exciting news, um, that, yeah, it, we do build this trust up. And then when we like, don't see them anymore, cause they've gotten better. It feels like a huge breakup. It's so hard. Um, cause you do develop such close relationships with them. Absolutely. And I mean, a lot of times we're one of the first providers. I honestly feel like postpartum that addresses sex. Oh my gosh. Like, yes, they get cleared at their six week, like, Oh yeah, go have sex. And then they're all like, what? But it doesn't <laughs> feel the same. And yeah. It's harder it, and it's more yeah. painful. Right. And so when we're like, really like breaking sex down for them. They're like, well, I don't know. I never thought about it before, baby. Have you touched yourself before you let somebody else come into your space, your new space postpartum? And they're like, Oh no. Like, yeah, I'm just, I feel the pressure of needing to get back in the sack at six weeks. Mm -hmm. Don't feel the pressure. Like sister, it Mm -hmm. took me a long time to get back to that. And it's okay. Like we want you to feel comfortable with everything, all the new changes, your tissue, And a lot of them do come in. Like, I just need to know that it feels okay here first Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. before we attempt that in the communication piece. So that's true. The communication. Well, I think too, a lot of women, like we're so like hard on ourselves. We think our bodies should go back, you know, post baby, just like they were before. And Mm -hmm. we sort of don't take into account that our bodies are in fact going to be different and there's going to be changes. And we have to like maneuver that with our partners, you know, with ourselves Mm -hmm. first and then with our partners, but how do we get our partners excited to like, kind of do like help us get on board, exactly get on board and like empower our pelvis and like strengthen it. Like what are some good ways to kind of get them involved? 
I love when they bring their partners with them into the visit because that gives them a whole new eyesight to what's going on. We can talk them through it. I can give them things to practice at home. Um, I think that's huge. Absolutely. And like even having them, we did a podcast with a sexual health coach and she was like, have your patients text something like flirty at the beginning of the day to their partner, just, or, you know, something I'm sure you guys, Mm -hmm. and that whole day, it makes you both think about it and just touch into more of that, like more intimacy side rather than like sexual side. Uh And that's another way for them to just start thinking of it because yeah, one, a lot of our patients come in here with infertility issues. So sex has been so clinical for them for so long. And then they have the baby and then it becomes almost clinical again because they're like, I don't know how to do this again. And now I have pain or now I have, you know, this scar tissue. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, you've, we've got to get away from that and get it to more of like the pleasure side of it. But Mm -hmm. some people haven't had pleasurable sex for years and years and years by the time they're coming to us. So, yeah, Yeah, it's just, you know, I think sometimes we Mm -hmm. think that men are like, well, why can't we have sex? You just had a baby. Why can't, you know, we enjoy our sex life again? But I do believe that when we get our guys on board, that they're really into it. Like they're Mm -hmm. into helping us. They're into like having a great experience together. I think we kind of sell them short a little bit. Like, oh, well, it's like when the woman wants to get back to sex after having a baby, which I understand because that's where I was. But it's also communicating with them and say like, how do you feel? Like, how do you feel? You know, we sometimes think that they just want to like get off and put their, you know what, and you know what. But I feel like it's more than that for them too. Like you've just had a baby. Like how do they feel like, or do they feel like they're going to hurt you? And if they do, then they're kind of weird about it. And then you feel weird about it. And so everyone's on this weird page where no one's really communicating. And that's what I think is really important, like with relationships and sex, like both people are valid and both people have just been sticking up for men today all over the place. (laughs) Um, But I feel like, you know, my husband is such a giving man and that comes in every aspect. And I know he's not an asshole who wants to hurt me. Right. I know he wants me to feel good. But if I just distance him from the whole equation and the whole conversation, the sex in general is not going to be great because he's going to be distant, you know, so it is really opening up that communication um, those pathways and being able to like, you know, be turned on through communication, which then leads to the bedroom. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. scheduling it. Ske- yeah. I was going to say I prepping. I got so in trouble for saying that. I said it on an interview once, like Taman schedules, like, you know, I schedule sex. I said, Taman from Pretty Little Liars schedules sex. I'm like, why is this even a topic? <laughs> yeah. It is. I mean, that is what a lot of our patients we do, especially postpartum. I mean, think about how exhausted you are. You're not on really a schedule yet. So you kind of have to plan, you know, when you might do something, but then for some of our pelvic pain patients or pain or uh, scar tissue where the tissue is really tight, mm-hmm. you've really got to kind of prep that tissue for something coming inside of it. So they've got to run through some exercises. Maybe some of those exercises are with their partner mm-hmm. to then build that tissue up to good blood flow and arousal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny. I think, um, this, this could be like a total myth, but, um, a lot of men are actually scared to have sex with their partners when they're mm. pregnant. Cause they think the penis is going to damage the baby's head Where or something. Where did dimples come from? Yeah, Roxy? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my God. So would you like to clear that up and let us know, in fact, can a man's penis damage the baby if he's having sex with this pregnant partner? 
No. <laughs> you have dimples, Roxy? Do you have that? I, I mean, do. sometimes. I don't, think <laughs> parents, I don't think your parents are having sex. Oh, no, you do. You have one. I won. I know. Isn't that weird? Only one side. I have one, too. Look. You do? Well, we That's all one. know what your parents oh, you are doing. Oh, you do. Okay? That's one. Just one. Just one. Yeah. Just one. yeah. yeah. Right there. <laughs> Bring that I mean, unless you're throwing her around and she's landing on her stomach. There's... <laughs> <laughs> ways you can damage something yeah um, right. but if you're gentle then yeah. i think that yeah i wanted <laughs> to talk about prolapses because i've had two friends that have had a prolapse and it seems like a horrible thing and also an such an embarrassing thing to happen to women post-pregnancy i don't does it ha uh, does it happen with vaginal births it firstly explain what it is secondly mm. how can people fix it and thirdly does it only happen to vaginal birthing mothers you want to take the first question so yeah what is prolapse that is a question we get a lot too so it's i kind of start by telling patients because you most people know what a hernia is right so a hernia that comes out of your belly button or maybe like in the groin area they'll call that an inguinal hernia prolapse is kind of like that but in the vaginal area it's it's organs or tissue going somewhere that it shouldn't basically. And so it can happen to your bladder. It can happen to the urethra it can happen to the uterus or the rectum. And some of our patients will have a few happening at the same time. It really just depends. And so for example, is let me grab the bladder. Cause I'm going to show you. <laughs> I love that you have the, the bladder, the bladder right behind this little joint right here called the pubic symphysis. So it's just like peeping right over. So if I were to take the bladder out, Oh, Whoops, sorry. Our pelvis is too. coming out of here. If I were to take the bladder out, if this were inside of the pelvis, okay, I'm going to put it out here just so you get it. So it's, it should be right there, but if it's the bladder is potentially prolapse, that bladder is not here. It's like here. Does that make sense? And that it's can happen down, it's tipping, tipping down and there's different grades of it. So it's graded one through four, one being just a small amount Four being it's really past that vaginal entrance and um, lots of complications at that point. So, so, people, so people who can't see you. So it's like you, when you, your vagina, pretty much, you can see your bladder hmm. hanging <laughs> out of your vagina a little bit. The bladder's kind of pushing on the pelvic floor muscles Ooh, and so coming out towards out. the vagina. Yeah. So, oh, so it's vaginal tissue. Yeah. Okay. It's not, the, it's not like you touch it. It's the bladder. It's actually the vaginal tissue, but it's that bladder pushing on the vaginal tissue and those pelvic floor muscles. Mm -hmm. or the rectum's kind of pushing in on the vaginal tissue. So it looks like something is hanging out. You know? Yeah. If people have all three, like all three, you, it'll look like a little snowman down there. Cause you'll mm -hmm. see the rectum popping up, the uterus coming down in the bladder. So it's like three little balls. Do um, you have sex with that? Different positions work better for others with prolapse. It depends on the symptoms too. Some of our people who have maybe to us as a visual exam, we'd be like, oh, that's kind of, you know, significant. Some of those patients really aren't symptomatic. Whereas we have patients that they're like, oh my gosh, I feel like I have a tampon in there all day. And I know I don't. And then we do an exam. It's like, well, it's actually not too bad. It just really depends. A lot. Symptoms are kind of variable with the different prolapses. How do you fix that? Do you, is that something that you do surgically or how do you fix something like that? We like to try holistically to improve it as much as we can with pelvic floor physical therapy. A lot, there are ones that are surgical candidates, like a stage four, where the tissue is coming out of the vaginal canal. Um, any of our patients that come in, we like to change 
how it might, for one, it might be that the muscles are so weak that we need to build up that strength and coordination down there Mm -hmm. for others. It might not show up until they're bearing down. So that shows us that we need to work on techniques of maybe when they're lifting their kids or groceries or something heavy that we need to make sure they're blowing out Mm -hmm. and to keep from that pressure system, pushing that prolapse out. Um, but it, it really depends on their situation. Um, and to answer your question, I, I have had three C-sections and I ended up with bladder prolapse after each of each of them. So it doesn't matter if you've had a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth, mm-hmm. you can still end up with the prolapse or a just prolapse. The, the force of the baby sitting on you. Is that kind of like, what do you think it caused it? I don't, I don't know. I think I might, I think that constipation during pregnancy could have played a role in that. Cause I didn't have a squatty potty with my first two babies. Um, and squatty potties are the greatest invention on the planet. I think for pelvic floor muscles, um, they really help relax that tissue. Otherwise, if you're dealing with constipation, a lot of us are like bearing down, which is going to push that force down and causing if we have weakened tissue to push bladder forward or down vaginal canal, rectum down, or even causing that uterus to come down. So the bearing down when we do anything lifting, um, if you're doing a lot of sit-ups and you're holding your breath, we can even see that prolapse kind of moving down. There's lots of different mechanics, body mechanics, or techniques that people just like rush through. And now that I've been doing this for gosh, 11 years, um, I've realized okay, like not saying this is everybody, cause this is not research based, but like, I notice tendencies that people who are like more efficient type a personalities that like to get things done, we might be more prolapse candidates. And so teaching them to really slow down, learn how to work their pelvic floor, how to move through activities without bearing down and holding their breath might be really beneficial for them and their prolapse. Interesting. This might be a question that you don't have an answer for, but so I had a C-section, I had two C-sections and I was totally fine for, I'd say six months after. I mean, it hurt obviously for the first six weeks, but then I was fine. But now when I do any real cardio, like any like biking or hiking or anything where my leg moves high, like higher than normal, I have a burning sensation that is pretty constant for a couple of days post the exercise. And then if I'm not doing any strength training exercises on my stomach or anything where my legs lift, I'm okay. What is that burning sensation? Because I, and then I have like a small lump on my scar, which I'm sure is where they tied everything together. Because after my second one, after my first one, they cut out all that scar tissue, but then the scar tissue kind of came back. Um, is the pain staying at that incision, like in your lower abdomen? It's actually higher, but I think that's where, I think they did the incision and then anchoring tied everything higher than the scar. Yeah. But I thought, well, it'll, after this, I I thought when I had the second C-section, it would fix the pain of the first, but now I realize it just is a result of a C-section. Yes. Um, what has helped a lot with myself having three C-sections or any C-section moms that we've worked with, because that's very common where it shows up later down the road as that scar tissue is still remolding, um, work on that scar tissue. If you haven't, not just the incision, because what we're seeing on the outer side where that incision is, is just like the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that goes on down low. So I teach a lot of our, um, clients to do like 
superficial where you're moving skin, picking up scar, then you get into the muscular layer, but then we get deep into the organ layer and figure out how can we create this mobility that maybe is creating more tension for you. Cause there, maybe there's lack of mobility right now that then when we're doing certain activities, we're getting those muscles to fire up, but they're not moving as well. And then just like any muscles after we work, they kind of shorten, right? And maybe that's what's happening down in the lower abdomen that then is creating just like fatigue in your arms after an arm day is happening in that lower abdomen. But if we can start to loosen that deep tissue with scar work, then hopefully we can get you to a point where you're not having that discomfort and pain days after, or even hours after a workout that it's all gone. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Gosh. And and I know like during pregnancy, you know, talking to people and then I also had it too, was that you develop and actually after the birth is hemorrhoids. Like, Oh my goodness. Oh, right. Tamar, did you We're get going, those? I mean, are we, are we going there? <laughs> oh God. We're on our way. We're on our way to hemorrhoid city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is like a thing where I think it's like, cause you have to, you're so constipated from the pain medication and everything while you're in the hospital. And then you finally go to the bathroom and it just like from there, it's just like downhill, you know, it's like there's hemorrhoids and like, you know, just, it just, I remember for like months after I was like dealing with these things. So finally, I mean, I think it took at least like six months to kind of like get everything back to totally normal on that side. So what can we do to avoid that? Well, I had to grab this because I knew exactly where you're going. <laughs> you mentioned, or she mentioned the squatty potty. This oh, thing is amazing. Everybody in in America, especially because we have higher toilets in other countries, uh-huh. need to have this in every bathroom. Oh, what is and, it? So you and it should go with you to the hospital too. They make travel sizes. I always say it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's not going to damage that. Public you you, you <laughs> put that on the toilet the and then squat into. And you just put on the floor. The, yeah. on the floor. On the floor. Yeah. No, 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 no. Oh my gosh. You're like, you just put it on the floor and poop on the floor. I'm like, what is happening right now? So just like this, I've got a romper on. Oh, but oh, if I'm yeah. on the toilet, I'm leaning forward, which is creating a nice, relaxed pelvic floor because I have my feet up on this seven to nine inch step stool uh-huh. that allows my knees to get higher than my pelvis to then relax my pelvic floor. So then you should be able to just breathe to have a bowel movement versus so hemorrhoids are because people are pushing. Well, hemorrhoids mm-hmm. first pressure. Pre- the pressure of having mm-hmm. a baby. And then yeah. also the fact that if you're slightly constipated or whatever it is, you're pushing. And when you push that comes back out again. Mm-hmm. Yes. We can also get them. So I also had the vaginal version, vaginal varicosities while I'm pregnant, oh. where it was just coming out towards my labia, like outside of my Mm -hmm. vaginal tissue. And it's the same thing. The varicosities just vaginally versus rectally. And those suckers hurt, but that was during pregnancy. So I wore, if someone had bad hemorrhoids, would you say remove them? Or would you say just, uh, you know, use a squatty potty or just, I would try holistic approaches first. Mm -hmm. And then because with surgery, you never really know what's going to happen or how you might change tissue good or bad Mm -hmm. after surgery. So I'm very big on going holistic first Mm -hmm. to see what we can do to change it just with pelvic floor PT. I've never heard of vaginal um, hemorrhoids essentially is what you're saying. So they're caused by pregnancy or they're caused because you're pressure. Really? Yeah. 
I really think it's the pelvic floor isn't moving as well. So you're having this stagnant blood flow, but then the pressure of baby or again, poor body mechanics. Um, I didn't know it was a thing either. And I'm in this field until I started vocalizing, like, why does my badge hurt so bad? Or why is my labia swollen down there? (laughs) And then I start talking to people and they're like, oh yeah, I've got that too. I was like, why is nobody discussing this? This is bullshit. I know. Uh, lo and behold, they make a jock strap called the B2 support. And I would wear this jock strap that they would put lace on it and make it, you feel all sexy, even though it was awful. I'd pull that thing on, snap the sides, and then hope that it would hold my badge up. Cause it felt like two yeah. small catamarans down there with all these purple. I feel veins. like we could be friends <laughs> <laughs> because Dog straps, I just love memories. this topic. Um, <laughs> I find it interesting though, and we'll let you guys go soon, but I just find it interesting that like the vagina has been such a taboo topic for so long. And yes, because of social media and because the rise of women's voices, we are now able to talk about these things because they have felt so taboo, at least in my end. Like even when we started this podcast, like almost two years ago, I was really nervous to talk about these subjects because just about like, if there was going to be backlash or if it was dirty or if it was shameful or, you know, would we be allowed to speak our minds without getting like a backlash, you know? And I'm just glad that this people like you guys exist and getting the word out and even, you know, being able to do your TikToks or whatever to get to see the vagina as something that's interesting and um, not, not dirty. Just, yeah, right? not dirty and just desirable. It's interesting and it's confusing and it's, you know, can be painful and all the things because I think we would feel less alone if people talked about it more. And I think that's always been what Roxy and I the point of this podcast is like, let's talk about the subjects. We just had a divorce, divorce person on, like, let's talk about the subjects that people don't really want to talk about. So then it becomes less taboo and yeah. more mainstream. Right. Yeah. I feel like that's what we feel too, with our social media account is let's normalize public health. Mm-hmm. Cause it is, it does feel so negative to come in like, Oh, I got to fix this thing, but we want them to be positive about it and have the hope. Um, and again, same thing with the whole dirty, like we don't like, no, men don't think of their penis as dirty. They touch it every day, mm-hmm. but we do. It's like, Oh, badge. like my hoo-ha. Nobody wants to say vagina and it needs to get out there more. Like it almost needs to be, you wake up and be like, I love you vagina or take that mirror out, touch it, get to love it. Well, I think so, yeah, you, absolutely. Like, you're touching like on the point, um, that is so important. And that is that it should be a pleasurable experience, right? Like you should, we shouldn't be feel shamed for wanting to have pleasure, you know, in our vaginas or sex, or that we're put, paying attention to it, you know, even because like Tamman was saying, people have not been talking about this. So that's what we, you know, we're trying to do here is and trying to talk about it. Have you seen like your business kind of like grow exponentially, like during this time, like where people are talking about it more? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Cause it was, I remember four years ago when starting the business, it was like, people would comment like, why are you posting this stuff on social media? Why are you talking about it? Like, this is private conversations. And I'm like, if we don't talk about it, nobody's going to know to go get help. And it means normal to come get help. That is normal. Right. And I don't, I don't think we want anybody waiting years to go get help anymore. Like if you're noticing dysfunction, let's change it. So we started putting out funny reels on social media and on TikTok to try to get people's attention. And then that has helped exponentially it's been amazing to see um 
how people are kind of laughing about it and then realizing like, cause humor like really helps when something's more hush hush about it. Um, and that brings Relatable. light to it. Relatable. Yeah. And Thank people you. come in because of it, you know, it's, we can't rely on the doctors to facilitate our referrals because that doctors won't talk to them about it. Sometimes it depends on where you're at, but and maybe the, they didn't get the education. Yeah. On it. Yeah. And not a knock on them, but yeah, it's, it's not always at the forefront of their mind. And then patients will come in they're like, why didn't my doctor say anything about this 10 years ago? And I'm like, they didn't know. They didn't know. Like, and, and that's okay. But we also are like, you're saying it's more mainstream to talk about things, but people are so much more aware of how to be an advocate for themselves with their healthcare, which is so empowering and totally has changed why, how people come in and why we've become um, more busy. Mm -hmm. Love it. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the show. Thank you for having us. Come in. We don't have pelvic floor issues, but we'll just say that we do, so we can come in and. <laughs> we love to have you. Go and we, chat. We might have to go. Tamara, we might have to go take the trip to Kansas City to go see them. Absolutely, we would love that. Go. I mean, I I don't know where I'm living at this point. So, <laughs> well, where can everyone find you? Can you let us, every our listeners, know? Yeah, we're on Instagram at empower.your.pelvis or our website at empoweryourpelvis.com. Um, so yeah, we would love to answer anybody's DMs on social media because we do that every Wednesday with our Wellness Wednesdays and all of our programs online. Very Amazing. cool. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and comment wherever you listen to podcasts so we can keep bringing you amazing guests like these two. And you can get your pelvis. You can get your vagina fix. fixed. <laughs> Thanks, guys, so much. And we are Women on Top Official on Instagram. And Women on Top Podcast on Facebook. And Women on Top on Clubhouse, too. And I am Tamin Sursak. And I am Roxy Manning. And we are <gasps> Women on top with empowered pelvises <laughs> <laughs>